Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from April 9th, 2023. Happy Easter. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, church. We're so thankful to have you with us here on this Easter morning. Happy Easter. We'll get started this morning with a reading out of the 10th chapter of Acts, starting in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. All the prophets testify, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful that we can come into your presence this morning on this Easter Sunday, on the day that you showed uh, that you have conquered death. Uh, Lord, that you have reversed the curse of the garden. Lord, that you have already set an in-game in motion of a new heavens and new earth. Lord, and that we are closer to that than we are to the curse. Lord, we are thankful on this Easter morning uh, for the women who went to the tomb, who saw it was empty, and who came to proclaim the gospel. Lord, we are thankful uh, for those witnesses that you ate and drank with and who proclaim the good news to Jew and Gentile alike. And that is the reason we sit here today. Lord, be in our worship this morning as we lift our voices to sing. Just fill this place with your spirit. It's through his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Bless our time of worship this Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of eternal life. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Five hundred twenty-five. Five twenty-five. <clears throat> See the monarch, the monarch, come in majesty. Let us bow down and worship him who stood all things well. He leads the nation out of sin and causes folks to flee.
today. So, okay, please mark number 97. Long after the lesson. Turn out 408. <coughs> with us, we do this a little bit differently. We'll sing all three verses first, then the chorus, and the tempo changes some, so just please watch. <coughs> And also, 
Shout out there to, to Rachel and Joyce talking over here. Rachel, do you mind standing up and remind us all how to sign Happy Easter? Happy? Okay, so I'll do it together. Very good. So let's always Joyce and Happy Easter and each other this morning. Grab the bulletin. Uh, our reading will be in there and also some other things this morning. Kids, just so you can time the service, uh, we're not doing an interview this morning. I'm going to preach for uh, about eight or nine minutes, and then I'm going to tell a long story uh, about eight or nine minutes uh, instead of an interview this morning. And we'll begin this way. In the beginning, God created the world, and God intended it for good. Look around. Isn't it great when we have a beautiful sunny day on Easter Sunday? This is what God created the world for. For flowers and birds and animals and humans all being together. God created us for peace and for joy and for love and for mercy. But we resisted it. From Cain killing his brother Abel till things we've seen in recent days and recent times. God kept trying to tell humans what was best for them. But we have a knack for resisting what deep down we know is best for us. And so finally, God came down. The fancy word we use for that is the incarnation. God came down to us and showed us what life was all about in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth walked around and he loved all people, even the Samaritans, even the lepers, even the tax collectors and the prostitutes, even the religious leaders that were just a little too full of themselves. Jesus loved them all and ate with them all and showed us how to truly live. And what was the human response? We were annoyed. We were frustrated because we like power, and to put it in childish terms, we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And so at the instigation of some Jewish leaders, the Romans executed Jesus of Nazareth. Put simply, we, and the we there is important, we killed him. And yet, here is the good news. Despite the fact that we killed Jesus, despite the fact that we killed the Son of God, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Let's stand together for the gospel reading from the book of Matthew. It's on the inside of the bulletin. This is also the reading on our Easter banner. As you're walking out this morning, notice over the doors, it's the same reading from Matthew 28. If you'd like to join with me in the bold section, feel free. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel, angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women together, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. 
He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Jesus is alive. And the story we read this morning really happened. And it matters. It matters at your ministerial. Frequently, people I love dearly sit down with me and say, I want to believe that. I want to believe that, but I'm struggling to believe that. I sat down with a student this week over a cup of coffee. JP, I want to believe that, but I struggle to believe that. Now, to be clear, it is a matter of faith. It's not 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's not the square root of 64. There's not something neat and tidy. We can say, oh, okay. There it is. But here are some, always some things that I go back to very quickly. Number one, if I was going to fake this story, this is not the way I would fake it. If I was going to make this up, this is not how I would make it up. We've talked about this before. Women were not trusted in antiquity. Some of you might say women struggle to be trusted even now in certain situations. I would not have it where the original eyewitnesses were women. When they said, who saw the empty tomb? Oh, some women went there. And most men in that time period would say, then we can't trust it. In many situations, female testimony was not even allowed in the court of law. If I was going to make up the story, I was going to fake it, this is not how I would have done it. Number two, what did they have to gain from this? It's always what I wrestle with. What did the early church have to gain from this story? How did it work out for them in the short term? They were persecuted. Many of them were abandoned from their families. They did not make money out of this. To become a Christian in the first century was almost to take a vow of poverty. It always led to financial decline, not financial gain. These were rough times. It was three or four hundred years before Christians did the majority of the Roman Empire. What did they have to gain when we look at the construction of other ideologies, other political movements, other religions? Almost always what we see is there is something to gain. A battle where you gain land or a conflict where you gain money or some type of prize. And we don't see that. We see them clinging to faith in Jesus because it was real. And number three... And this is the least tangible one, but I believe this story and I believe Jesus is alive because I've met Jesus. I've, I've talked to him. I met him growing up in the church of my youth. That was far from perfect. <laughs> but I met Jesus in that group of people. When my mother died and I didn't know who was going to take care of me and people rose up 
and provided for me. I met Jesus. When I went off to college and was trying to make my own way as an adult for the first time, wandering around the dorm looking for good friends, and I met people that loved Jesus more than themselves, I met the Lord. When I left the South permanently for the first time and moved up north and was trying to make my way with my first job and I was so lonely, I met Jesus. As I've told you, my trip to Israel last summer, I met Jesus in a waterfall on the west side of the, uh, the Dead Sea. So many experiences in my life where I met him. And all this together is why I believe it's true. And so today we proclaim this truth that Jesus is risen. And I want you to know it's so very important. And it's the foundation of so many things. I want to briefly look at a scripture from 1 Corinthians if you want to turn in your pew Bible to page 933, you want to turn in your pew Bible to page 933. So then I love reading, especially this time of year, is Paul's treatise on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says in 17 through 19, this is on page 933, verse 17 through 19, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. There are many things in the Christian faith that well-intentioned Christians can disagree about. There are many things in the Christian faith that if at some point we find out that's not the best way to think of it, or we kind of come to a different position, we can maybe jettison or change, and we still have the heart of the gospel, the Christian message. But if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, it all falls apart like a house of cards. This is the part where we double down and we say it's true, and it's the heart of it. Why? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then you will raise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you will not rise from the dead. And let me tell you this. I'm planning on living forever because of the gospel. And I'm excited about it. Guys, let's be honest. I don't always love this life. This life lets me down a lot if we went around today and each of you shared things just in the last month, just in the last week, just in the last three days, you're like, I cannot believe this is going on in our world. I cannot believe this is going on in our life. We would be here all day. Kids, don't worry. We're not going to do that. Okay. I do not have my hope in this life. I plan on living forever in a renewed new heavens and new earth. I plan on hanging out with my mother and my grandparents and my friends. I plan on hanging out with you. I'm looking forward to reconciliation because there are some times that I long for reconciliation and I wonder if it will happen in this life. I believe it will happen in the next life. I long for people to hug and hold hands and feast together that just could never get themselves to do it on this life. I long for a time where there will be no more death. 
I mean, everybody pictures heaven differently. I like the idea of just going for runs, trail runs, out in nature with Jesus. For some of you, that's not your heaven, that's your hell. I know, okay? But that's what I long for, and it's going to be, it's going to be incredible. And what has brought me comfort in recent weeks is I do not plan on staying here forever. I'm gradually getting older, and I'm preparing for my death. That will hopefully be many years later, but here's the deal. It's not going to be the end. It's not going to be the end. I was talking to my dad the other day, he's 78, and he goes, I love planning for trips. He loves to go camping. He goes, I love planning for camping trips. And I've realized the biggest trip I have on the horizon is going to the new heavens and the new earth. And I'm planning what I'm going to do there. And he goes, to be clear, son, I'm not wishing it'll happen tomorrow or anything. But it just hit me. It's the biggest trip of my life, and I can't wait. Friends, there's a new life coming that's going to be even better. But also in this, and we got to hold these two things together, and our Sunday morning class teachers recently, Robbie, Sabrina, and Jennifer are doing such a good job on this. The next life matters. But this life matters too. If you want to flip the page to page 934 in your pew Bible and go down to verse 58, Paul talks about the resurrection for a long time. And then he arrives at this in verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So he spends the whole chapter saying the next life matters and it's going to be great and it's, we're going to live forever. And because the next life matters, this life matters too. Because the next life matters, this life matters too. Tomorrow matters. Tuesday matters. Wednesday matters. Your neighbors matter. Your community matters. Nashville matters. Tennessee matters. It does. It does. We, because we believe in the resurrection does not mean we devote ourselves to escapism. It means we are more in tune to this world because we know that our labor is not in vain. When we embrace the resurrection, it not only changes how long we're going to live forever, but it changes how we're going to live because we become people that live with hope. People that live with hope. And I want to tell you a story of what that looks like. A book that has captivated me as much as any book I've read the past year is a book by Sam Canonis, who's a, a journalist for the LA Times. And he wrote a book called The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. And it's a, it's a book about the recent drug industry and the drug trade and stuff in the United States. And he does not write it as a, as a person of faith, but he comes back and he says, you know what my biggest thing of hope that I keep coming back to? He said, in all these little towns off the beaten path, there are these churches. And they just wrap their arms around people and take care of them. And there are all these churches that have after-school programs and AA meetings and all this stuff. And he's like, it's not being publicized, but he's like, it's the greatest stuff that's going on. I ate this up, right? Because most things you read is the church is the problem of the world. And so when I can find something that the church is good, I'm like, thank you. I needed that. Okay. 
But he says, the Christians, and it's as if he's never heard this story. He goes, the Christians have this story that they really love. And then he tells the story of Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, where it climaxes, where Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of us, you did for me. And so that's the title of his book, Matthew 25, because he was so mesmerized by that story. Well, he tells the book in, in vignettes, and I want to tell you a story that he does in six vignettes. And it's a long story, but uh, it's a story that's given me so much hope. And it's a story that takes place in Tennessee, which is really cool. You'll look on the back of your bulletin in the sermon notes. I've given you some of the main characters just to kind of help track this story as it goes along. The story begins in 1989. Angie is 19 years old. She's in the U.S. Navy. She's in the Pacific Ocean. And she has night watch on the USS Cape Cod. She has a life jacket on. She's tethered to the boat. There are no lights and she's tethered. So if she falls, she won't drown. It's the quietest it's ever been in her entire life. And in complete silence and in complete darkness, she meditates on the journey of her life thus far. For this 19-year-old grew up in Elizabethton, Tennessee, which is east of Johnson City, not too far from North Carolina. She grew up a pastor's daughter, Baptist pastor's daughter. And if you ask her what were some of her foundational memories from childhood, what she always goes back to, her family is very poor, but what she always goes back to is her dad had this old canvas tent and he would put it up in the backyard and the entire family would get in the tent and there was not room for everyone. They could hardly turn, but they would cram into this tent. She still remembers the smell of that tent and that's kind of the main memory of her childhood, kind of what life was like before it got bad. When she was 16 years old, her father got cancer and died. Her mom remarried. Her social circle broadened. And sadly, someone in that broadened social circle sexually assaulted her. She went to a family member and they said, tell no one. She went to a counselor at school, told them, but nothing ever happened. She was full of shame and anger. So when she graduated high school, she put all of her stuff in a big trash bag, left home, and joined the Navy. And I'd like to read this quote from page 14 in the book. This is it. She's on night duty at age 19 in the Pacific. On that quiet night at sea, beneath the stillness and profound expanse above her, she thought of all that had happened. Her anger and pain rose it almost spilled from her. She had accepted God as she grew up in the congregation her father led. And after all that had happened, though, God seemed distant. Now under the heavens, she wanted to know from him that her rage was righteous, her bitterness just. Instead, as the night wore on, she felt a warm embrace. A stillness on the dark water that soothed her wounds. A peace descended on her, assuaging her pain, unraveling the knots of hate and rage. Later on, she took this to mean that she was to love, 
to care for others with patience, regardless of their transgressions, and through that, let the poisonous anger and the bitterness pass from her. All that night she cried, and the tears poured onto that big orange life jacket. Through the years and all that was to happen, she found her favorite passage from the Bible in Psalm 46. And it seemed to come directly from that night she spent alone in the Pacific, fastened to that pole. Be still and know that I am God. That's the first vignette out of six. Number two, in July of 2012, in a healthcare facility in Pensacola, Florida, the orderlies bring in a patient that has OD'd on drugs. Her name is Starla. She is blind, she can't talk, she can't hear, she can't walk, she's fed through a tube, and she's two months pregnant. And they don't know where she has come from or what her story is. Eventually, her mother, Maud, gets a phone call from Elizabeth in Tennessee and comes down to Pensacola, Florida, and finds her. And this is her story, Maud, the mother of Starla. Maud grew up in East Tennessee, and she fled her family when she was sexually assaulted as a child. She took in with an older man who was very kind, and she had two kids with him, but yet continued to struggle with drugs. One of those children was named Starla. Starla's father died when she was eight years old. From the time of age 11, she was in and out of youth homes. She resorted to self-harm and drug use. And as the drug addiction got worse, she was in and out of jail. And ultimately, she fell victim to human trafficking and was trafficked in, in more than one state. She ultimately, in that position of being trafficked in Pensacola, Florida, uh, had an overdose on drugs, and the person she was with was afraid of calling the cops and getting blamed so they didn't call for hours. And her brain went hours without any oxygen. And then she ended up at the hospital. Maud, her mother, who had come down from Tennessee to visit her, was overcome with emotion but didn't have any money to stay. So after one day, just left with no plan or no idea of what to do. There was a minister there, Reverend Elaine Blaise, who had a harp. <laughs> and she would go in Starla's room and she would play songs like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Be Thou My Vision, and Jesus Loves Me. Starla often just convulsed in bed, but when she would play those songs on the harp, she would grow quiet and still. She came in two months pregnant. On January 18th of 2013, um, she had a cesarean section and gave birth to her daughter, Bella, on January 18th, 2013. That's story two. Story three. Later, January 24th of 2013, in Huntsville, Tennessee. I didn't know there was a Huntsville, Tennessee. <laughs> this is northwest of Knoxville, out in the sticks. Starla shows up in a nursing home, blind, can't walk, can't hear, on a tube, and no one knows who she is, where she's from. She's just ended up in this healthcare facility in Huntsville, Tennessee. 
And for a month, they don't really know, does she have any family members? Do her family members know she's here? Know she's here? And a month later, Angie shows up, who is now age 42. Angie's the one that was in the Navy that we met earlier. She shows up at age 42, and we learn more about her story. While she was in the Navy, she married a guy in the Navy, and then she came home when they both got out. She moved back to Elizabethton. She tracked down the church where her father had been the preacher, where her father's funeral had been. She reconnected, she began to play organ in her father's old church. She gave birth to her daughter, Bethany. But her husband was abusive. Her husband was addicted, addicted to drugs, and so she left her husband. She moved back in with her parents. And one day she got a call from her pastor, thinking her pastor was calling to check on her. And said her pastor said, I think we can both agree that it wouldn't be right to have a single mother as an organist. It's probably best if you don't play the organ anymore. And so she never went back to that church. A few years later, she married a nice gentleman named Earl, a factory worker. And she had it on her heart to help women who had been in her situation. And so she started a nonprofit called TLC, which offered crisis counseling and adoption services for pregnant mothers and all kinds of resources and stuff. And everybody assumed that TLC stood for tender loving care. So people would come up and say, what does TLC stand for, tender loving care? And she said, no. I named TLC for my ex-husband, Tracy Lee Couch. He was abusive and a drug addict. And I started this to help women that were in my situation. She named it that so that when people asked, she could tell her story. And she said every time she told her story, people trusted her. And then they would open up about their story. She ministered to countless, countless girls and women around Elizabethton. And then on February 14th of 2013, Maud showed up and Maud said, remember me? And here's why Maud remembered Angie. When Maud was a little girl, Angie's parents ran a bus ministry and they would pick her up for church. And then years later when Maud had Starla, Starla was in and out of some of the programs that Angie held. And at one point when Starla was going through a particularly difficult time, Angie remembers telling Starla, and this haunts her in a good way the rest of her life. She remembers telling Starla, whatever happens, I will be there for you. Whatever happens, I'll be there for you. And Maude remembers that she told Starla that. So Maude shows up Valentine's Day of 2013 and hands her Bella, Starla's baby, and says, we have no idea where Starla even is right now. She didn't know where she had been transferred. And that's the end of story three, story four. A few days later, Angie, after calling all over the place, tracks down Starla to this facility in Huntsville, Tennessee. And she was in a very neglected state. Her hair was not combed. They had not been properly taken care of her. And Angie just loses it, starts yelling. She has excrement on her. It's just a horrible situation. She's like, she needs to be cleaned up now. And she gets it all together. She goes and visits her and she calls her congressman and they finally make a way for her to be transferred to Elizabethton so she can be close. And then they're trying to figure out what to do with Bella, Starla's kid. 
but Maud fails a drug test. And so the state won't let Bella go home with her. And so Bella goes home with Angie and her husband Earl. Bella has mild CP. She cries all the time. She hardly sleeps. She arches her back. She's very sensitive. She can't get comfortable. But yet Angie remembers the first time that Bella and Starla are reunited and they put baby Bella on Starla's chest. And Starla always cried, always gyrated. But as soon as mother and child are reunited, Starla stopped crying and they never saw her cry again. Mother was reunited with her child, felt her on her chest, stopped gyrating and never cried again. The state is going to put her into the state system because there's not a family member that can pass a drug test to care for her. And it's weighing on Angie, knowing that the next morning they're going to have this hearing with the state and she's going to get placed into the system. And she goes into the living room and she tells her husband Earl what's going to happen. And Earl's in his favorite rocking chair and he's holding Bella and he just looks at Angie and says, she's home. She's where she needs to be. And even though their daughter Bethany has just graduated high school and they're empty nesters, they adopt Bella and promise to raise her. That's the end of story four. Story five, Angie and Earl are now raising Bella, but she has her own uniqueness. Like maybe some of our kids, she's very sensitive. She can't have any tags on her shirts. Any of you kids remember those days? You just skin was sensitive. She can't wear sequins. She can't have anything that touches her skin. So she wears leggings and sandals her entire childhood every day, no matter the weather. Some of you were actually like this, because I remember the years you could not wear sneakers. Some of you, okay? She's just very sensitive. Um, also, she's gifted with like extreme empathy. And when people are sharing stories, she'll just break out into tears and she's in it. She also has like this spiritual sense. They would tell stories of, she once went up to someone and said, do you have Jesus in your heart? And they're like, yeah. And she was like, good, because there's darkness following you. <laughs> she had all kinds of stories like that. And then that in town, there was this kind of a, old catwoman type person who was like really old and poor but had a bunch of cats and uh, everyone in town loved her but she just reeked of cat urine and it was hard to bless her and spend time with her and Angie would tell these stories and they would go pick her up and everyone else in the car would like be rolling down the window with their head almost out of the window because it smelled so bad and Bella never noticed the smell and she would curl up in this woman's lap and she would hold her hand and they would take her out to eat and one day she and her friend were hanging out with her and her friend, like age five or six, says, that woman smells horrible. And Bella says, no, she doesn't. She smells like honey. So she just kind of always has this spiritual sense. Angie takes Bella to visit Starla three days a week. They put up pictures in the room. They play Christian music on an iPod. They put an open Bible there on her nightstand. And when she turns six, her deepest prayer is that on Mother's Day, her mom, Starla, can come to church. And I want to read this segment here. Kids only got four more minutes left. You're doing fine. It's 2.98. When Bella was sick, she asked Angie if Starla could come to church for Mother's Day. So that Sunday, a paramedic rolled Starla into the church on a stretcher in a pink dress that Bella had chosen. 
sure that Starla would have picked it for herself. And Bella was waiting for her at the church door with roses and saying, Jesus loves me for her birth mother. Through Bella, Angie touched a simpler faith, one closer to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was the tax collector who dropped everything to follow Jesus. He left behind all worldly worth, not thinking how it appeared to others that he would accompany this ragged man. And the message of Matthew, Angie believed, was that, quote, we're not to be like the Pharisees. In church, it's sometimes, look at me, I've got it together. I've been three times this week. Appearance, that's supposedly what makes you acceptable to God. But in the book of Matthew, it says you have to come to God as a child. Bella has taught me that. Story five, last story, story six. On November 14th, 2019, Starla passed away at age 33. They knew it was the last week or so she was gonna be alive. Angie reached out to Maud and family. Is there any family that would like to come to see her one last time? And none of the family came. A few months before, Bella asked, why is my mom in this situation? And at age six, she thought she was finally old enough to tell her. And she said, your mother used drugs and was around people that were not nice to her. Because of that, while you were in her womb, you have had some challenges because of that. But your mother loves you very, very much. They planned a funeral and they went to the funeral home to make preparations. And Bella said, it needs to be a party. It's a celebration. I want a pinata. <laughs> and Angie got on the phone with a bakery to order a cake. And Bella said, I need to talk to the baker because the cake needs to be perfect. It needs to be a strawberry cake. It needs to have writing on it. On the day of the funeral, Maud and several family members were able to come to the funeral. And Bella went around greeting everyone at the funeral saying, my mom is in heaven, and today is a day of celebration. After the funeral, they went downstairs for the luncheon, and everyone was going to eat the strawberry cake. And then they noticed the words on the cake that Bella had chosen, which later Angie put on her gravestone. And the cake said, I love you no matter what happened. May we hear the gospel in the words of a child. I love you, no matter what happened. Let's stand together and sing. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Sons of men and angels sing. Yeah.
alternate readings in the lectionary today was John 20, verses 1 through 18. And um, the most important element is the same as what we heard in our gospel reading for today, the resurrection. But what is different about this reading is it gives us a little bit uh, more insight into some of the human responses. Um, we see in verse 1 that Mary Magdalene came early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been moved, and she went back to tell two other disciples, they have taken him, and we don't know where they have laid him. And I can hear in her response um, some fear, some anguish, some sadness. And then, so she tells two other disciples, Peter, and then someone who's just referred to as the other disciple, but we, we commonly assume that to be John. And then there's a foot race, and the other disciple, he outruns Peter, and he reaches the tomb, and he looks in, and he sees the grave clothes, and he can't go in. He doesn't go in. Um, he's, he's cautious. I think he's probably also confused. He's uncertain. And then Peter arrives on the scene, and he went straight in, what the scripture tells us. He went straight in with no seeming hesitation, but he still didn't know what he was seeing. Um, I'm guessing his thoughts, in addition to confusion, were mixed with guilt for his denial of Jesus just a few days previous. Um, what the scripture tells us is that none of them knew, none of them knew what was happening. Despite their time spent with Jesus, despite their closeness to him, none of them understood what was happening. And honestly, verse 9 gives me a lot of comfort. Uh, there's a lot of times I don't understand what's happening. Um, and so we see in the verses after that that Peter and John went home and that Mary stayed weeping. And she encounters Jesus there, even though she didn't know it at first. But he called her name, and then she knew. He said, Mary. And she reached out to him. And we know that because he had to tell her, don't hang on, I haven't ascended yet. And so she reached out to him, and, and it was like she knew, she knew. And he said, um, he gives her a message for the other disciples. He says, I'm going to see my God and your God, my Father and your Father, and go tell the other disciples this. And so on this Easter morning, wherever you see yourself in Mary and in John and in Peter, I hope we all trust that Jesus responds to us in the same way he did Mary. He sees us. He knows us by name, he loves us, he's keeping his promises, and he wants us to share this good news with others. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the fact that you sent your son and that he was a willing sacrifice and that we also believe that he will take this meal again with us one day. 
thank you for his body. In Jesus' name, amen.
20. 20.
JP said, after amen, anything goes. And it is Easter. <laughs> so I thought I'd put a little nose on too. Anyways, I just also, I just wanted to sing a little song. This is my favorite Easter song, and I, I just have to sing it. <laughs> Here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping through the bunny trail. Hippity hop, Easter's on its way. That's all. That's it. Um, thank you for a beautiful service today. It was so nice um, and just so present and beautiful. So thank you, everyone, who's a part of that. Um, we have a short list. Happy birthday, April 14th, to Amy Spivey. Get it, girl. <laughs> Get it. Don't even use this microphone. Um, Naomi Spivey will be performing in the John Overton Bobcat Players presentation of The Music Man this week. Um, and she will be playing the lead role of Marion in the understudy performance on April 15th. So bring a leg, girl. Get it. Ackland Workday is Sunday, April 16th. All are invited to help with that. Um, and then keep our people on our prayer list in your thoughts and prayers. And then for this month, we have Ackland Workday, like I said before, and then a couple of small groups. And then there's some other things too. Any other announcements? Great. Enjoy coffee and donuts and your Easter. Bye. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.